Welcome to this video Bible class. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I want to remind us again that this epistle is from God through Paul to Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, I'm going to start with verses 1 and 2. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Here is something we have to deal with that is troublesome for some, and so my purpose over the next few minutes is to give clarity to the subject that generally comes up when you arrive at 1 Timothy chapter 6. The first time someone reads this, it is like a button is pushed or a flag goes up or a criticism against Paul is hurriedly offered. The words slave or slavery or servants or bond servants in the ESV, those words immediately put into our minds one picture, and it is ugly, and we want no part of it. For us, the word slavery puts a picture into our minds of the worst sort of inhumane treatment of people. We associate slavery with ungodly disrespect for people made in the image of God. We connect slavery with cruelty, racism, greed, and hatred. I completely agree with this assessment of slavery in our common historical association. But I don't for a minute believe that the Apostle Paul endorsed that or had any sympathy for it. Let me explain. Not all slavery is the same. The three worst forms of slavery in history are the Egyptians who enslaved the descendants of Abraham, the Nazi era, enslavement and eventual efforts to put Jewish people to death, and then three, pre-Civil War slavery of people from the African continent. That's not what Paul is talking about in this passage. Paul is talking about a form of slavery that existed in the Roman Empire in the first century that's the historical context of Paul's life, Paul's time. So let's not associate the Apostle Paul with something he wasn't involved in, he did not condone. Paul lived and wrote this epistle long, long before the pre-Civil War slavery we are familiar with that was so inhumane. He's not talking about that kind of slavery. 
So historical context is important here. At the time Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, there is evidence that almost half the population of the Roman Empire, about six million people, were slaves or servants of one kind or another. Now, it is important to say it just that way. Slaves are servants of one kind or another. In this country and culture, and in modern times, when we think of slavery, we think of the kind of slavery that once existed in this nation, which involved the sometimes brutal and severe servitude of people from the African continent. Well, in the Roman Empire, there were slaves, but not all of them went through the kind of experiences we have seen in movies and books about pre-Civil War era. Many were simply what we would call domestic workers. Some were not treated well. Others were treated very well. It all depended on the disposition and character of the owner or master. Modern reactions against Paul about this subject need to be moderated and are eliminated by considering his historical context. And part of that reaction is due to the stereotypical view that all slavery is the kind of slavery we have seen in the movies, in our history, that we loathe. But also, it could be said, the scriptures do not uphold slavery as a good thing. In this epistle, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 10, enslavers are condemned. If you struggle with this whole subject, I'd recommend you go back to 1 Timothy 1 verse 10. Enslavers are condemned. But there was never any attempt to perpetuate any kind of slavery or to promote it. And many historians, religious and secular, argue that by the end of the second century, slavery had virtually disappeared had certainly been drastically reduced because of the impact and influence of Christianity. I want to say also the apostles were not social reformers, lobbyists, or political operatives. They were gospel preachers. So they taught people to do what they ought to do, even though their conditions might have been unjust and the social institutions they had become a part of economically needed many reforms. Uh, it would not have been possible for the apostles to abruptly cause all bond servants to be freed or all slavery to disappear. So Paul told those who worked and lived this way to regard their masters as worthy of honor because something was at stake that was larger than the temporary conditions of slavery or bondservant work. The name of God and the teaching must not be reviled. So what's more important, my working conditions or my influence for God? 
In the New King James, it reads in this way, Let all who are under the yoke of slavery regard their masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brethren. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their service are believers and beloved. Let me offer a parallel. In another place in Paul's writings, he says that wives should obey their husbands. He is not endorsing any cruelty on the part of ungodly husbands. He is teaching principles to be applied as social order was set up and created by God. The next part of this is about false teachers. I'm reading verses 3, 4, and 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are deprived in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. I have misread two words rather than start over, would you give me an opportunity to read verse 5 correctly? Constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. This paragraph really elaborates on the third verse of the first chapter in 1 Timothy. That's the statement I've referred to so many times where Paul told Timothy to remain in Ephesus and charge certain men not to teach a different doctrine. Charge certain men not to teach a different doctrine. You've heard me say very often there is only one doctrine, the doctrine given to us in the New Testament. When men teach something not in the New Testament or contrary to the New Testament, that's false teaching. In the New Testament, we have the wholesome words of Christ and the apostles, the teaching which accords with godliness. Now, if some teacher doesn't agree with the wholesome words of the Lord, if he teaches things contrary to the doctrine which accords with godliness. Notice what Paul says about this man in verse 4. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. Now, some people are simply mistaken 
or they have been misled, and there are things they have not learned yet. Like Apollos, who was still teaching the baptism of John after the day of Pentecost, there is no evidence that Apollos was deceitful, that he was obsessed with disputes or guilty of envy and strife. He was mistaken. And when two Christians taught him the way of God more accurately, let me say, when two Christians, Priscilla and Aquila, taught him the way of God more accurately, he changed what he taught and became a vigorous debater and gospel preacher. Some folks just need more instruction. They are sincere but mistaken. These men in Ephesus, however, did not have the sincerity and innocent attitude of Apollos. They would not consent to the wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ. These men were proud, knowing nothing, or, as described earlier in chapter 1, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. These false teachers were obsessed with disputes and arguments. I want to stop here and talk about this phrase, obsessed with disputes and arguments, or the ESV says, craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. Do you realize that some people are in love with controversy? Now, every Christian should be ready to defend the cause, cast down arguments, and charge certain men not to teach a different doctrine, but some people are in love with controversy. They love controversy with a passion. It becomes their hobby, their obsession. They can't stand peace and unity. They feel compelled to stir something up. They are obsessed with disputes and arguments. Well, that's not good for those who are obsessed, but it can also be destructive and deadly in a local church. And that brings me back to what I said in an earlier class. One of the worst things you can do in the presence of sin and error is to ignore it or cover it up. Paul said, charge certain men not to teach a different doctrine. Paul said, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all. And here in verses 3 to 5, he says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. There is only one doctrine. Now, there is another way to approach this. Work this from the outcome back to the cause. If men teach things and behave in such a way as to produce envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicions. That's evidence of their evil work or their false teaching, because truth doesn't produce 
envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicions. These proud, false teachers behaved in such a way as to produce these results, envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions. Verse 5 in the New King James, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. <coughs> From such, withdraw yourself. Again, it is clear Paul is not talking about men like Apollos, who may be wrong or mistaken, but sincere. And when they are taught the way of God more perfectly, they change and do right. No, these men generated useless wranglings. They were corrupt, destitute of the truth. And if you wonder what the motive was, verse 5 settles that personal advantage or gain. They supposed that godliness is a means of gain. One word here, and this word tells why these false teachers were doing their work in Ephesus, gain. Men like Apollos loved God and wanted to do right. These men loved themselves, and they were devoted to their own gain, whether money, influence, power, they were devoted to their own gain. Now, just given what we've studied so far, before we get to the last verse in the section, verse 5, let me ask you, if you are a Christian, you love God, you believe in Christ, you want to honor him, you want to learn and obey the truth and go to heaven, if you are a Christian, do you want to associate with the kind of men described here? You may want to try and teach them and help them and convert them, but you do not want these kind of people as your close friends. No, because they stand firmly opposed to everything dear to you. I don't think Timothy wanted to have friends like this, but beyond natural desire, Paul issues a command. From such, withdraw yourself. Do not associate with them. These are people you shouldn't associate with. This says, those who do not consent to the wholesome words of the Lord, those who are obsessed with disputes and are corrupt from such withdraw yourself. That's 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. Takeaways. All through your reading and study of the New Testament, always pay attention to context. Some people come to that word slave or slavery and assume that Paul is endorsing what we think is wrong and cruel in pre-Civil War slavery. No, Paul was talking about what was happening then, the kind of bond service that was going on. Always pay attention to context. Takeaway number two, if anyone teaches, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, place responsibility on yourself to compare everything that you read and hear to what is written in God's Word. And I say to you, thank you for listening.